It's good this morning to see all of our Emma Stoddard rainbow t-shirts. If you're wearing a rainbow t-shirt this morning, if you'll stand up. Yeah, I'm just going to call you out. Uh, we got all kinds of people. I need to make sure I get the quote exactly right. Before you see a rainbow, you must endure the storm. Storms. Sorry, I ought to get that right. Brother Barry, stand up. I'm sorry. Before you see a rainbow, you must endure the storms. And what a great quote. And um, thank you all for representing today and um, remembering Emma. Um, the movie Remember the Titans is a movie that chronicled the real life experience of T.C. Williams High School's football team in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, it was the 1971 season. Uh, which was the first year that integration between blacks and whites came about in the public schools. And some of us are old enough actually to remember that. But that was the first year of integration, I think not only in Virginia, but across the United States. Now the plot of the movie, if you haven't seen it, focuses on the struggle to uh, the players together into a unified team. Um, Herman Boone, who is a character who is played by Denzel Washington, who is obviously an African-American man, he becomes the head coach of the team in the midst of this um, integration. Uh, now there's, there's a lot of great quotes and uh, significant scenes in Remember the Titans. I could probably spend, uh, yeah, the rest of my sermon time on that, but I won't this morning. There is, though, as I thought about it, there is, there is a pivotal point in the movie that occurs partway through their football season. In fact, in, it comes down to this this really this one moment, and, and in that particular game, there is a white offensive lineman who fails to block for the black quarterback, and that quarterback suffers an injury that takes him out of the game. And if you have watched the movie, you know this moment that we're coming to. Uh, Rev, the quarterback, Jerry, I forget his last name, is, is taken off, out, off the field. And uh, there is a, there's a timeout in the game, an on-field timeout. And in the midst of that, Coach Boone from the sidelines yells, Ronnie Bass. Now, Ronnie Bass is a long-haired white kid from California whose father had been transferred to the naval base there, and he had joined the team in the midst of this. Now... Ronnie Bass is the second string quarterback and that's partly the case because he could not execute the pitch to the running back uh, on the option play. 
When Coach Boone tells him that Rev is not going back into the game, but that he will be going in at quarterback, Ronnie Bass, his response is, I can't make that pitch, Coach. That was the first thing that came to his mind. And there is this, this is the moment I want to capture. Coach Boone, as I remember, he grabs him by the jersey. And there, they were not practicing social distancing. There's probably about, not six feet, there's about six inches. Coach Boone, played by Denzel Washington. He makes this speech. He gets into the face of Ronnie Bass. And this is what he says to him. Yes, you can. And he tells him a story. In the midst of this timeout, he says, When I was 15 years old, I lost my mother and my father in the same month. In the same month, Ronnie. I was the youngest of 12 brothers and sisters. I wasn't ready either, but they needed me. And then he went and he says, your team needs you tonight. You're the colonel. You're going to command your troops. And then Coach Boone calls the play. Twins right, 48, zero read. Let's go. And Ronnie Bass runs onto the field. Now the funny part to me, I mean, there's a lot of great lines. That, that's a great speech. But the funny part to me is Ronnie Bass goes in, he says a few things in the huddle, and the assistant coach is standing there beside Coach Boone, and he goes, you really had 12 brothers and sisters? Coach Boone goes, without blinking an eye, he goes, Eight. The assistant coach goes, yeah, 12 sounds better. <laughs> um, in the same way, to me, Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy occur at a pivotal moment in the early church. Let me, let me set the scene for you of what we're going to read and really the context of, of 2 Timothy. Here's the scene. Paul was in, in a Roman prison facing the day of his execution. For three decades, Paul had been the face of and the force behind the Christian movement. And because of that, he had taken the, blunt, the brunt of the opposition that was thrown against Christianity. Paul had this group of um, men that were a part of a missionary team. But make no mistake about it, Paul called the shots for that missionary team. Timothy was one of those that was a part of the team but Timothy had lived in the shadow of Paul for the last 15 years. Paul was his father figure in the faith. In, in the faith. And when we come to 2 Timothy, 
that father figure in the faith writes his final words. And they are words of encouragement. Uh, and I, I want you to get that tone this morning. And the thing that, ext- and that strikes me, and I thought about this, they're words of encouragement. Encouragement is designed to incite courage. Courage. That's our word for the day. Uh, that's our essential of the faith. That as I looked at the verses we're going to read here in just a moment, I went, no, that's what it's about. Paul's words of encouragement were words to incite courage in Timothy. Courage is one of the essentials of our faith. And as we look through 2 Timothy, we are looking at essentials, life, truths, that matter. And I want us to think about this morning from our scripture in 2 Timothy, and we're going to read chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. Uh, and I want to talk about living in courage. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings For the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that... I'm sorry. Is able to keep what... (laughs) going back to my old King James. What I have committed to him until that day. I'm sorry, I butchered butchered that last verse. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul starts in 2 Timothy, as we've seen the last two Sundays, and he starts with a very traditional uh, greeting. Hey, this is Paul, and he describes himself, and then he says, this letter is to Timothy. There's some words affixed to that, and we glean from those words uh, the essential from Paul as he writes his final words about living in purpose, living according to calling. 
Last Sunday in verses 3, 4, and 5 of, of that first chapter, there is this very traditional, somewhat uh, opening prayer of thanksgiving. And we talked about living in gratitude. And Paul looked to the past and said, now, now Timothy, here's all the things that you look back on and you see that were the hand of God in your life, the things that God has brought you through, that you were, you were grounded in the Scripture, that in your mother and your grandmother you had a heritage of faith. And I was one, Paul, who invested in your life, and you have seen the example of my life. And so, so Paul has talked about the past in that opening, but when we come to verse 6, it's the present. And when we get to verse 6, we get to the message He's had the greeting, he's had the opening, but now this is the reason that I am writing to you. And they are, what we discover is that they are words of encouragement. Um, would you walk with me through these verses and see what God would speak to us about courage? Uh, verse 6, Paul says, therefore, what he's saying is, because of what I have just told you about what you've seen God in the past do, therefore, because of that. And he says, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. It's significant to me that he says, I remind you. What strikes me, and one of the things I believe we need to learn, is that, that Paul's admonition, encouragement, uh, to Timothy is not, I need you to muster up some courage in your life because I'm a about to pass on the scene and you need to rise up, young man, and you need to take your place that God has for you. Uh, Paul does not say, I need you to muster up some courage. He said, no, I came to remind you that that courage already abides in you. There is something in you that becomes the basis of that courage, and that's very significant I don't really know in a, in a worldly, secular sense, apart from Christ, I don't know where the, sur the source of courage is, but I do know that what Paul teaches Timothy is that the source of courage is the Spirit of God that lives inside of you. And, when he, and he's saying, I, I want to remind you of what's already inside of you. I remind you, and he uses this word to stir up, uh, which means to rekindle a fire. What he's saying to Timothy is the fire of the Holy Spirit already dwells inside of you. Timothy, just make sure that you rekindle that fire and flames inside of you. It's, it's there, Timothy. And he describes it as the gift of God. And one of the things I, we will see through Paul's words of encouragement is that it is God who has initiated, who has gifted, who has saved, who has called. It is God who is behind this purpose of the gospel, but specifically in, in, in Timothy's life. It is the gift of God. God gave it to you. This is not something that you naturally possess, but it is a gift of God. And he says, which is in you. And he says, through the laying on of my hands... Uh, we don't have time to look at the other scripture. There's another scripture he talks about this in 1 Timothy 4.14. And this is obviously a, a, a reference 
to the time of ordination in Timothy's life. We don't know what that looked like. But what Paul was saying is, I was there that day. And I laid my hands on you and we prayed for God to come into your life and to gift you and empower you to be the minister, the pastor, the teacher that God has called you to do. I was there. I was a part of this. I laid my hands on you. I know what God has done in your life. And then this verse that we probably all know by heart in verse 7. He says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The spirit that God gave you is not a spirit of fear, Timothy. That word for fear is a word that means cowardice. It means to cower in the face of, of opposition of the enemy. Um, God has not given you a spirit that cowers in the face of the enemy or in the face of opposition. But the spirit that God has given is a spirit of power. And so what Paul begins to describe here is that the spirit is the source of the courage that is called for in Timothy's life. For Timothy who would say, I don't have the power to do what God has called me to do, Paul says, it's all right because the spirit within you is the power of God. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power. That word for power is the word dunamis, and he actually uses that word three times in the verses that I've read. What he's communicating to Timothy is the power that you need for what you're called to do is not of yourself. It is God's power. But the, the Spirit is not only a spirit of power, but is also a spirit of love. In the midst of opposition and what you're afraid of or what other people will say about you, no, the Spirit will empower you, Brother Barry, to love people the way you don't nat naturally possess. When we are afraid many times, we, um, we withdraw. We put up barriers. We protect ourselves. Love does not protect yourself. Love sets yourself out there. And love gives for others. Uh, but that, that puts you in a precarious situation to love. But the Spirit of God is a spirit of power but it's also a spirit, of, a spirit of love, not of self-protection. But he also says the spirit is of a sound mind. Um, fear, many times, is irrational. Irrational. <laughs> that means we don't have a sound mind. But when the spirit comes, he not only gives us power and he gives us love... But he gives us a sound mind, clear thinking, to see things as they really are. And Paul's going to tell Timothy some things that really are. And so a sound mind helps us to overcome irrational fear. And so what, what Paul is teaching Timothy 
is that the Spirit is the source of courage. And the Spirit will overcome the opposition that is outside of us, but also the self-doubt that is within us. And I want you to get that this morning. Because that's where Timothy is. And he's going to describe it here in, in the other verses. But what he's going to describe is most of the people out there in the world are opposed to the Christianity that we are promoting. So there's going to be opposition. And your humanness might want to withdraw and say, I can't do this. I just need to protect myself. Everyone's against me. But the Spirit will overcome that opposition. But many times, it's not so much what's happening outside of us as it is what is happening inside of us. And I think for Timothy, there was a possibility of self-doubt that says, I'm not able to do that. Not only is there out opposition outside of me, but inside of me, I just I have the sense I can't do this. And the Spirit becomes the source of courage that overcomes that which is outside of us, but also that which is in us. In verse 8 he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Uh, shame is a feeling. And I think part of what Paul is teaching Timothy is to live in courage, you can't live out of your feelings. Because <laughs> your feelings are going to say, well, I don't, I don't know that I want to do this. I'm not sure how people are going to respond. And I think that word to be ashamed is a word that um, speaks about uh, our feelings that we can have. And here's, I said this years ago, I don't even... Y'all, let's be honest. I don't remember most of my sermons I preach. I have to go back and look at my notes. And really, you'll talk to me later in the week about my sermon, and I'll go, listen, I've already moved on to next Sunday. I don't really remember what I preached. I'm, I'm think but I do remember one quote from me. Other than Jesus loves you. It's surprising. I, and I, this was years ago. I don't even remember what I was preaching on. It may have been the book of Nehemiah. I don't know. But it is this, and it was about courage. That courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is action in the midst of fear. And what Paul is teaching Timothy here is, yes, you may have feelings. Your feelings may be a sense of shame. I'm, I'm ashamed to give testimony because I'm afraid of what people are going to say, what they're going to do to me. He legitimizes that in many respects and said, that may be your feeling. But if we're, if, we're, if we're driven by our feelings, we will never do the things that God has called us to do because there will always be a reason our feelings will tell us not to. Courage is not the absence. If you're waiting for that moment where you go, man, I feel nothing but courage, no reservation in this, what God has called me to do, then you're going to wait too long. It's just not going to happen. Because courage is not the absence of fear. It is action in the midst of fear. And so he says in verse 8, he says, Don't be ashamed 
of the testimony. And that is a word that means your witness. The testimony of what God has done in your life. Don't be ashamed of me as prisoner. Paul's going to describe this later in in chapter 4. He's going to say some of the saddest words I've ever read in the scripture. He says, all have forsaken me. Nobody stood with me at my defense. Everyone is left, except for Dr. Luke. Everyone has forsaken me. Paul's saying, don't be ashamed to identify with Jesus Christ or with me as prisoner thinking, well, it might get me into trouble. He says at the end of verse 8, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Share with me in the sufferings. Suffering will always be connected to what God has called us to do because we live in a world that is opposed to the things of God. And Paul says, join me in that as I suffer for the gospel that you would not withdraw from that, you would not back up, but you would share with me in those sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. That's the second time he uses the word power. And he goes on in verse 9 and he describes, he says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Paul is teaching Timothy another very significant truth about courage. That courage comes from the confidence that God is in this. What he describes here is there was was a time that God reached down to you and he saved you. He initiated that relationship with you. And that God, in Timothy's life, not only did he save you, but Timothy, he called you. Paul would say the same for himself. And very significant, not according to our works. Timothy, it was not like you or I came up to this great idea and said, I think this is what I'm going to choose to follow Christ. I'm going to choose to be a preacher of the gospel. No, Paul and Timothy would both say that the purpose and the calling of God initiated in God himself. It is not in you. And you understand when you come to face a circumstance in your life, the difference it makes when God says, I I need you to move forward, of the sense of the confidence that God is in this. This is what God is about. This is not something I decided on my own, that I want to do this, that I think I'm up for this challenge. No, you see, the, the courage comes from that confidence that God is in it. He says in verse 10, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
He talked about in verse 9 how the plan of Jesus Christ began before time. But in the present time that God revealed His Son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And when he uses the word gospel, he connects it to verse 11. He says, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Appointed. Who appointed Paul? God did. Paul said, I didn't decide to do that. I was appointed by God. Do you understand that confidence then comes, courage comes from that confidence that this is what God is about. God is in it. God is doing it. And finally, Paul, and he really starts this in verse 11, but he finishes kind of his testimony. Because it's one of these things that, it's one thing for him to talk about all those things, but eventually in verse 12, Paul says, but me. I've called you to courage. But he says in his own life, he says, for this reason, because of all that I've just talked about, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. That word ashamed is, is significant in a couple locations in the Scripture in Paul's writings, but I think of Romans 1.16 where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. For this reason I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. Who is the whom? <laughs> it's God. Paul said, I know the one that I have placed my faith in. And then that word persuaded that we saw last week, which denotes strong conviction. For I am persuaded that he, God, is able. And actually that word able there is the same word dunamis for power. And what it, it means is God has the power to keep what I've committed to Him until that day. And I want to end with this, that last phrase, when He says, He is able to keep what I have committed to Him until that day. It's, it's an incredible picture in the Scripture. And what Paul is communicating here is that God has the power to guard, and the word would be, my deposit. God has the power to guard my deposit, what I have committed to Him, until that day that He comes again. The picture is of something of great value that you gave to somebody. Today we would think about taking it to the bank to keep safe. But in ancient times, you wouldn't have had banks, and so you would have entrusted it to a friend, someone. And he said, I have trusted my life and everything that is about me. I have trusted that to Christ. And I have this strong conviction that he has the power to guard, to keep, what I've committed to you. This is Paul's testimony to Timothy. 
This is the challenge. He's going to say this actually. Well, he says it in 1 Timothy chapter 6 at the end. These same words to Timothy. God is able. Timothy, if you will trust him, God is able to keep what you have committed to him against that day. You see, I think the final thing that I want us to learn is that courage is bolstered by those around us. For Timothy, it was partly the testimony of Paul that said, I give testimony with my life that God is able. If you'll trust Him. This is what I want to share with you. If you'd stand with me this morning. Uh, One of the essentials is living in courage. And this is what I want you to know, that life will always require courage. It will always require courage. And that the Spirit of God inside of us as Christians is the source of that courage. And it will, come, it will overcome whatever is outside of us, whatever is inside of us. And it comes from that confidence that God has called us to do this. And it makes all the difference of those that are around us that become examples of courage because courage is bolstered by those that are around us. Um, I want to lead us in prayer this morning. And I want you to think about those things in your life uh, that God has called you to do and uh, for the courage that uh, you need to exhibit to walk in that. Before I pray, If you need to speak with somebody, whether you're joining by live stream or you're here in person, we're available for you. You can reach out to the staff, um, however you choose to do that. I will be at the front after the morning service if you'd like to visit with me, if you need somebody to pray with you. Um, The only other announcement that I know are two things is Wednesday night, we will start back our full program. That'll be Wednesday night at 6 Uh, In preparation for that, Sarah is meeting across the street after this morning service. And you ought to know this. If you're one of her, the children's volunteers, she has lunch for you across the street. And y'all are going to go over um, what's going to happen Wednesday night. And so if you're one of those Wednesday night volunteers for our children, when you're dismissed here, if you'll just go across the street, then Sarah's going to meet with you and she's going to feed you. Amen? Amen. If y'all would join me in prayer this morning. Father, we um, thank you for today and we thank you for uh, the encouragement that comes. And Father, I pray that you would help us to live obedient lives, not according to our feelings, but according to the calling of God in our lives. And so, Father, we love you. We pray that you continue to watch over us, care for us, protect us. Father, help us this week uh, to live out lives of courage, and we pray that you would use it in other people's lives. And we trust this to you, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.